Well, hello, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to share with you stories that empower you to do, to be, to achieve, and to impact more through your life. Maybe more simply said, I'm fired up to share with you stories that help you live inspired. After today's episode, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at podcast at johnolearyinspires.com with your feedback, maybe your guest suggestions for future shows, stories on how this podcast has helped you live more inspired, or questions that you have for me. Again, send that email to me at podcast at johnolearyinspires.com. And now, let's get started with today's episode. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with your host and your friend, John O'Leary. It seems to me everywhere we look these days, whether it's on the news, the internet, social media, headlines, wherever it might be, it seems like people are becoming more and more and more divisive and more and more and more loud about those disagreements that seemingly divide us. And in comes the conversation that you are about to hear today. It's from a gentleman who saw the exact same thing that you and I see, a gentleman who felt very strongly uh, in his own worldview on where people should stand, but recognizing that if you only stand in one place, you're unable to see life from someone else's perspective. Tariq Manib is an incredible movie director. He's an incredible human being. You're going to love his life story. And I think in hearing what he did, what he's done, and what he's trying to help happen next, you're going to be inspired not only to realize that it's better than it seems, but that you, my friends, that you, I'm talking just to you right now, that you can become part of the solution. So on this show, I invite you right now to open wide your hearts. You will need it. Open wider your eyes. I believe you'll need that too. Take some notes. So grab your journals, grab a pen. Get ready to be motivated, inspired, challenged, and changed by our newest friend, Tarek Manib. Tarek, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Pleasure to be here. Man, it is our honor. And just for the folks who may not know where you're taking this call from today, what part of the world do I find you in today? I'm in Zurich, Switzerland. What are you doing in Zurich, Switzerland? I've lived here for the last uh, 15 or so years, um, so just having having fun. And for those who do not yet know about your work professionally or what you're working on spiritually, tell us, generally speaking, what your life looks like today. I've built up a few companies uh, here in Switzerland, and in the last few years, I've gone down part-time um, still running those companies and trying to dedicate my life to more meaningful projects that bring people together and, you know, influence humanity in a, in a positive way. And the work that you seek and have sought to do, you are doing successfully. It's a big part of why I wanted to have you on this podcast. We'll get to that momentarily, but I'm going to have you hop back into the plane, leave Zurich, Switzerland, 
go back to your birthplace of Halifax, Canada. We're probably one of the few interviewers that you've ever been on that has been to Halifax four different times. I think Halifax is awesome. This is your hometown. Uh, talk about growing up in Halifax, Canada. Well, I left Halifax when I was about 10. Um, so it was really early childhood. It's a beautiful city. Um, you're by the ocean. I really enjoyed growing up uh, near the ocean. I was the only uh, Egyptian in my uh, in my school and in, in my community. So that was always a little bit challenging. Um, but it was it was a beautiful place. When did you first realize that you were the only Egyptian in Halifax, in that community, and the only one of your religion uh, in that community, in that school? When, when did that self-awareness begin to present itself to you? I think uh, the, the, the kids presented that to me um, pretty early on. Um, I think any type of difference as a child is, is uh, amplified, right? Children notice things and, and like to tease about, about differences. Yeah, it was quite early. I mean, there were examples where uh, um, some kids in high school spray painted our house um, and, and put Packy on it. Some of them weren't so friendly. Others kind of thought it was cool. So it was, a, it was a varied experience. When you were growing up and kids are spray painting Packy on the front of a Canadian's house, who's actually his family from Egypt, not Pakistan, how, how do you internalize that as a young boy? At the time, it was quite horrible, right? Um, especially our street was the street kids walked um, on to get to the school. So, you know, all the kids would see it and, and laugh. So, so it wasn't really fun. And it was also a bit, it showed the disconnection between my parents. Like when, when we were driving out of the driveway and, and we noticed it, my sister and I were at the back of the car, you know, feeling horrified mm. while my father is, is reading this and saying, pack one, what is pack one? And, and we're like, it's packy dad. And he's still very confused and he's, but we're not Pakistani. So it, it was just this, this dichotomy of living different worlds and, 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 and dealing with that. Your dad and your mother were from a very different world than Halifax, uh, where they were raised, at least before they moved. What was your father like? Just give us a snapshot of who he is as a guy. He's a very kind-hearted man. He's a scientist, so very intellectual old-fashioned family values, stand-up type of guy. And then your mother? My mother was a professor in literature, so she studied Spanish and, and French literature. Um, so she had this love of, of arts and humanities. And uh, yeah, so I think I got both sides of, of the love of arts from my mom and the love of uh, science and, and logic from my dad. I read in an article where you were quoted as saying that you had a grade five teacher who inspired and helped change your life. You know, many, many of us talk about our mom or our father or a coach, and yet you went right to grade five. What was it about this teacher? What, what did, how did they impact you? That, that's funny because that was, that was also, <laughs> you, you did a lot of research. I've done my homework, man. I want to be ready to roll in this. <laughs> So, no, that, yeah, that was actually in Halifax, and that was one of my last years in Halifax. I was nine years old, so it was, it was a t time where well, I was still getting into some fights and getting beat up and stuff, and he just really emanated this, this kindness and, and empathy um, that 
it's obviously just so has been so phenomenal. It it, it made its impact on me for till till today. Mm. I'm gonna speed up the tape just a little bit through some of your teenage years and advance to September 11th, 2001. It's uh, obviously a date that changed every one of our lives. I'm curious from growing up where you grew up and experiencing what you experienced and now living what you live, how do you think society changed in the way that we interact between countries, between religions, between those with different backgrounds as a result of September 11th? Well, I think September 11th put us all in a state of shock and fear. And we all just had this need for for safety. And I think a lot of us just needed any type of of solution because it felt like this enemy um, just came out of nowhere. And and we all wanted to feel protected from this enemy. So, So it was just very easy to try to identify people of a certain color, race, religion, and just say, okay, that's them. I know where they are. I know where they live. So I feel safe. And unfortunately, it, it just caught a lot of friendly fire. Like a lot of people got caught in the crossfire because of that. And we created new enemies and we didn't really protect ourselves from, from the real enemy. Mm. So I think it, it really um, created a division, a, a false division, instead of creating the unity that we needed to really address the, the, the true enemy, which, which is fear. Mm. So I went out that day to visit with my mom and dad and mourn together, <laughs> just mourn this. And on the drive back to my home and back to see my roommates on September 11th, maybe two or three o'clock in the afternoon already, uh, I drove by an ice cream shop and I knew it well because growing up, this was an ice cream shop, mom and dad and the kids and I, we went to all the time. We knew the owner. The owner was from Middle Eastern descent and his window had been, um, was already knocked out through a brick and plywood Mm. was not covering this, this little ice cream stand. And I just drove by, back to my house, back to my life. I remember a couple of weeks later, the window was back in. And then a few days later, there was more plywood on it. And I never even went in as a 22-year-old kid to talk about what was going on or how it made him feel or how it was changing his life. But in preparing for this interview, it's the first time I thought about that owner of that business for a long time. It changed his life, September 11th, all of our lives, but his directly. And I would imagine you growing up in Halifax, living your life, it changed yours directly too. Fear goes viral quickly. So were there any experiences from you after that event that you're like, yeah, man, this is some of the stuff I had to deal with? I was fortunate. I mean, the, obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but I, I was stopped a lot at, at the airport and had a lot of extra questioning and, and stuff of that sort. And and that was okay. I mean, I was really okay dealing with that. If, if that makes makes us more secure, I'm, I'm happy, you know, answering extra questions. I think it was more um, friends of mine that were more visibly um, a minority, darker, things of that sort. Mm-hmm. Stories that I heard them tell and I, I saw them go through. That was quite sad to see people who are, who are just, you know, living, born and raised in Canada, um, feeling really um, a love of country and, and that, and, and all of a sudden being identified as, as the enemy. I mean, it's, it's just, just horrible. We have a way of utilizing fear to divide and conquer. And I think ultimately it only conquers the ones trying to do the dividing. 
as you continue forward in your life after these events, you eventually make your way as a software engineer to Switzerland. It, it seems like a pretty radical move. Why'd you go out to Switzerland? My ex-wife, basically, we had met in Germany. I was just on a, a work assignment in Germany, and then we met, and then my assignment ended, and we wanted to find uh, a place to live. Every now and then, I would take a year out of my life and study something, immerse myself in something that I really was curious about. Mm. So that year in Switzerland, I immersed myself in the study of Carl Jung's depth psychology. Mm. And then we fell in love with the country, and I've been here ever since. How do you decide, and I did not know this was part of your story, so this is just raw curiosity. How do you decide yearly what to immerse yourself in? Oh, just if something interesting like comes up, like for example, my friend forwarded me this link a few years before that. There, there, there was this master's program in the study of mysticism and religious experience uh, in England, and I thought, wow, that's just amazing. So I took a year off of that, uh, off of off of work, and just immersed myself in in studying that and and just learning and discovering things that were just brilliant and amazing. Tark, you seem like the kind of guy who loves connecting to not only who you are and what life is all about, but also to the brothers and sisters doing life next to you, whether that's in Switzerland or in the UK or in Canada or in the United States. When did the idea of free trip to Egypt slowly begin to make its way into your consciousness? I think the seed of it kind of started coming maybe a couple of years before the exact idea came. Right. I felt this kind of shared humanity and I've been always kind of feeling, is there something, you know, we can do together to impact the world in kindness? So why is it always the, the negative acts that, you know, get all the attention? Is there something kind that we can do? And the idea never really came as to what that act might be. And then towards the end of 2016, I, I felt things were getting even worse, like with all the demonization and polarization. And I started feeling fear towards Americans and, and what was happening in, in America. And then that's when the idea came to me, because I don't want to live in fear. What would happen if I approached the very people I thought feared me and did something kind for them? And then the idea came, why don't I offer them a free trip to Egypt? And that's how the journey started. Man, I've heard some pretty radical stories and uh, some amazing guys who are doing some amazing things. I don't think I've ever heard an idea as far-fetched, if you will, as going to the States, going to the regions where people are probably going to be most afraid and angry specifically at you, Tarek, and then inviting them to a trip to your mom and father's homeland. So <laughs> help me understand how you connect those dots backward. Well, this is the thing, is that I just feel we're, we're caught in uh, an escalation where I, I don't trust you, you don't trust me, and then it just, it just escalates. And for me, I was like, I don't want to be part of this anymore. I don't want this to, to escalate out of control. I'm curious. It, it came out of a sense of curiosity. What would actually happen if I just approached these people in kindness? What would happen? And, and I didn't know. And it was really scary because when we announced the project on the internet, 
I didn't realize how much hate I would get. Mm. Uh, a lot of people were just horrified with the idea, are you crazy? I'm not going to get myself beheaded. And, you know, these people are savages. And what are you doing? And, uh, you know, I didn't expect that. So that was really scary. But then to go to the United States and then start speaking with people face to face, then you get a totally different experience because all of a sudden you're a human being speaking to another human being. And if you speak with someone with respect, it's very hard for them to be hateful towards you. And, and I realized then and there, there are very few bigoted people in the world. Wow. And that's actually what renewed my faith in humanity. And even when we were in places where I heard some bigoted things, most of those people said it from a place of fear or concern for their safety or the safety of their families. Um, and that really just moved me and made me realize, actually, the world isn't as bad as, as I thought it was. So in a moment, we'll be talking about a few of those ladies and gentlemen who raised their hand and said, you know what? I accept a free trip to Egypt. I will join you. But before we talk about those brave, bold, intrepid seven, can you share a story of a lady or gentleman, a colleague that you met that you were concerned, man, this could go sideways. Like th this could really get out of hand quickly. And yet something through that human connection, instead of splitting you in two, divided and conquering actually brought you together. There's there's been a lot of things. I think I think for example on this trip when I was speaking to people, there was a time where I was I was just um, approaching a man, asking him what he thought about uh, Muslims and um, you know the Middle East and stuff of that sort, and he all of a sudden really got very angry and started saying a lot of very hateful things and very aggressive things. Um, and I found myself be, being defensive. And I realized he didn't, he didn't realize I was Muslim or Middle Eastern. So he kind of just started ranting about them and, and, and saying, you know, how, how evil they are and they're following this, this, this devil and, you know, all, all this stuff. And, and I realized I was inside me getting defensive and you know, ready to just, you know, counter him and say, how dare you be so racist? And don't you see what you're contributing to humanity? And, but then something in me said, hear him out, listen to him, right? Mm -hmm. And then I really just calmed down and I listened to what he was saying. And more importantly, I listened to beyond what he was saying, what he was communicating. And then he softened. And then I was able, and I then told him, by the way, I was born into a Muslim family, uh, my parents are Egyptian. He was so dumbfounded and almost embarrassed. And we, we continued and we, we had this amazing conversation and connection. And I just realized as long as I'm not reacting out of fear, I have access to, to people. It doesn't mean to say there aren't any bigoted people in the world because right. there are. And there are some people with a lot of evil thoughts that, that you have no access to. So I'm not talking about that group. But what I am saying, because I did confront people like that, um, and you do not, you, you cannot connect with them in, in any way. Um, but those people are so few and far in between that we don't need to focus on them. We need to focus on each other and on our brothers and sisters that are somewhat fearful, but from a different place and connect with them. So in the United States, I believe there are about 360 million Americans. 
And the media on every side of the aisle does a phenomenal job covering the marches of 40 bigots. Like that, the, the, those, that they are all over the front pages when there are 40 bigots walking around. And I think we do a much weaker job, poorer job, and it's why you're on our show today covering the stories of those who are open, whose hearts remain open to new ideas, new people, new, new thoughts, not radically different thoughts. It may not change the way we show up, the way we worship, the way we vote, but at least we're open to becoming better through that, that difference. You have an idea to bring people to Egypt. When you first make the offer, do you remember the first person who said, you know what, I, uh, I accept your trip to put me on a plane and fly me to Cairo? So we had people accepting and then backing out and, you know, all, all sorts of different permutations and combinations. And also, the hardest thing about this project is by nature of the project, the people that wanted to go were the people you didn't want to bring. Right. Explain to our listeners what you mean by that. So the people who wanted to go are the people you don't want to go. What I'm meaning by that is that if someone is just really thinks Egypt is a cool place and, you know, I've traveled the world and I'd love to go to Egypt, that wasn't the dialogue we were looking for, right? We were looking for people who actually were worried. What is happening in Egypt? Who are those people? I'm not sure I really, you know, want to go there. Those are the people where we wanted to connect to. It was the people who were maybe afraid of, of, of Muslims or Egyptians or the Middle East, right? Mm-hmm. So it was those people we wanted to bring so we could break down the fear. But most of those people by nature would not want to go. So it took a while to actually find the people who had concerns or were fearful yet courageous enough to make that step and to take the adventure. We could spend an hour on each of the seven who had the audacity. It really is a courageous move to leave what you know, to hop on a plane with a stranger and to go to a completely different part of the world. But instead of spending the next seven hours going through this, let's spend about five minutes talking about one of them. And I wrote down the name Ellen. We could take any of the characters, any of the individuals you choose, but there's something about Ellen's background and her biases and the way she shows up and the way she moves forward through the story that I just find so captivating and so attractive. So talk about Ellen. Yeah, well, Ellen Ellen sent a submission video that was deeply moving because I didn't never saw anybody so open and authentic and 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 aware and searching on camera, right? She was talking about what September 11th did to her and that before September 11th, she felt she was a very tolerant person. And then after September 11th, something just shifted inside her and she's been living in fear ever since. And she was saying how, you know, she, she's, she's so racist, she can't stand herself. And, and she, she was also telling us how she was just so afraid of, of, of Muslim men. Every time she saw a Muslim man, she would, she would, something in her body would shift. So part of the fun of, of the, the journey was taking them and pairing them up with Egyptians. So we paired Ellen up w- with a young Egyptian revolutionary man, right? Just to see what would happen to, for her to confront her fear. Um, there was another Christian um, preacher who came on the trip who wanted to spread the love of Jesus into the Middle East. And he was so keen to baptize Muslims. 
And he brought with him from his congregation a former Miss Kentucky, who was also the, the kindest woman who wanted to spread the love of Jesus. So we paired them up with a very orthodox Muslim family, with the, with the father with a beard and the mother covering her face. So you can imagine the curiosity. What will happen when these people come together? We found a Marine at a Trump rally, very strong, macho guy, and we paired him up with a beautiful Egyptian dancer. So it was really fascinating just to see the dynamics and the, the connections and, and the journeys that unfolded. It was just truly amazing. Guys like Pavlov, researchers from that era, do experiments almost to watch the car wreck, if you know what I mean. I mean, some of the experiments that when you read about how we used to research, you're like, I cannot believe we did this on dogs or people or anything. This, what you're describing here, if you're hearing it through the wrong lens, sounds like that, in some regards, that same kind of research. And yet I felt it's the exact opposite. You're poking and prying and probing into what they thought to reveal to them a new reality. Yeah, well, my hope, my hope, my thesis, my, and my genuine heart's desire was to see that human connection wins over anything that human connection is more powerful than any difference that we might have amongst ourselves, right? That was my, my hope to see, and, but I didn't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and during this whole process, and if you watch the film, you'd see that that wasn't always clearly the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that was my theory. Um, and, and it was kind of almost like testing the universe. How far can, it, can we go? And, and the fact that we were able, I've never in my life been with such a diverse group of people, mm. politically, religiously, age-wise, interest-wise, were, we were so different. And yet, we managed to get through this trip, and we managed to somehow get along. And, and once I realized that that was possible with this group, I thought to myself, why not the rest of the world? Let's talk about this group and. Not, it's not a, a perfectly happy ending, if you will, but it did absolutely change some perspectives in some lives. Talk first about the families who are hosting. Because when, when in preparing for the movie and in preparing for this podcast, I viewed it all through the lens of the seven who left the, the, the comfort and the safety and security of their nation and left for Egypt and did not really think about, well, gosh, there's someone else taking a risk here. It's the men and women in Egypt meeting with these Americans. So talk first from the perspective of those host families. How were they changed through this experience? Well, it was really also moving to watch. And one of my, I can't say regret because it was a conscious choice, is we had 250 hours of film footage. So we had to make some really serious editorial choices. So we ended up really focusing on the Americans' journey. Mm -hmm. But as you said, the Egyptians had a very powerful journey. Um, And it was really moving for me to see, like, one example was one of the hosts, her mother had never met a foreigner. Mm. Can you believe that? She had never met a foreigner. And she didn't speak a word of English, but through her daughter was explaining that after meeting uh, her American counterpart, the mother just fell in love with her and now just wants to meet other Americans and, and, and loves America just because of this, this one experience, right? And um, it was the same with a lot of the other Egyptians that they, they also opened their eyes 
to what Americans really were like at a human level, because a lot of what they've seen is just on Hollywood and, and television. Mm -hmm. And so to actually connect and to just feel the common humanity was, was really, yeah, it really affected all of us. And then kind of jumping on the other side of the aisle, if you will, from those who had US passports on their way over and on their way back, how did you see a shift in their perspective as they are experiencing the humanity of the other? Well, each one had a powerful transformative change. And each one, though, was very different, right? So there were some, you mentioned Ellen and Terry. I mean, they came back so, so open. Uh, their children were talking about them being xenophobic. And after the trip, they just embraced the whole world and, and their hearts were just embracing the whole world. And that's just so beautiful to hear. We had the Christian missionaries. Some, some people tell me, well, they didn't change much. They were still trying to convert people at the end. And I was saying, well, no, that's exactly the point, is we didn't try to change anybody's religion or political view, but we all still changed. So Jason, the Christian preacher, he calls me up in his funny way, almost you know weekly. And he's talking about how, how grateful he is to me because he's now learned how to love Muslims in a whole new way. And he's telling me how he, he, he took all these people from his church to visit the local mosque. Mm. So the guy, the guy hasn't changed in terms of uh, his, his zealousness and his, the way he preaches, but he had something shifted in his heart. And he and I even have become really, really good friends because we've, we've kind of been able to look beyond those differences. The movie begins with you being asked a question. And the question was, so why'd you decide to make this film? <laughs> and there's this goofy, beautiful image of you like awkwardly dancing for words, having no idea how to answer that question. So I'm gonna ask you that question again. First, why was it so awkward for you to answer that simple question? And then secondly, now that you've had some time to reflect on it, so why'd you make the film? So th those are my two questions to you. Why'd you make the film? Why was it so awkward for you to answer that originally? And now with time, why'd you make it? <laughs> well, it was awkward because the film, the idea just took me, right? It just, I had to do it. And I didn't really think about why I was doing it. And she asked me, the director asked me that question. This was after we made, after we did the trip, this was like, like you know, six months into the project. We're, we're nearly finished the trip. And then she asks me the question. And I'm like, <laughs> I blank out. I have no idea. I'm just doing it. It's important. I have to do this. And obviously, since then, I've had time to reflect. And this is when I realized it's really this choice between um, fear and kindness and, and wanting to see if there's, if there's another way of approaching things. What would happen? It's an experiment in kindness. What would happen if I followed a path of kindness, went to the people who I thought feared me uh, instead of following the, what, what fear was telling me to instinctually do? You know, I, I think storytelling can change the world. Certainly one life yes. at a time, without a doubt. Storytelling can, is probably the most powerful way to change lives. You have as part of your film, a hashtag called the pledge to listen. So I think storytelling is beautiful. Listening is beautifully, but then the decision to do something with it afterwards, that's when the good stuff happens. What does the pledge to listen mean to you? After we went to Egypt, I really reflected on what 
what made the difference? Why did this work? And, and it, was re- it came down to just simple listening. We were able to listen and respect one another. And the pledge to listen is a way for, for all of us to connect and simply say, you know what, I'm not going to demonize somebody just by, because of what they're saying. I'm going to listen to what they have to say, you know, give them fresh ears from mm-hmm. the beginning and then just offer. It's not about being silent and offer my opinions in return. And that's it. And, and what I learned throughout this whole process traveling throughout the United States and Egypt and, and the trip is I think what most of us, whether you're, you're an ardent Trump supporter or left wing or whatever, I think what most people share is this, this feeling of being fed up mm. with the fact that we can't talk anymore. We can't talk about our views, our, our political views without it getting into some sort of war. Right. So I think this is the movement and it's resonated. And so many people now have, have, have participated in the pledge to listen. There's, there, you know, thousands of people have signed up to it. And on June 12th, we even had what we called the pledge to listen day of unity. And that's where the film was shown in 500 theaters across the United States. And immediately after we had a panel discussion live from Washington, D.C., which was also streamed into the theaters mm-hmm. where thought leaders came together to talk about how we could bring back kind, more kindness and listening to the world. And the people on the panel were, were Marla Maples, Trump's former wife, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, the Democratic presidential candidate, uh, Rabbi Rami Shapiro, the Oscar-winning director Peter Farrelly, and, and a former advisor to Trump, a former advisor to Obama, you know, all these different views. Yes not trying to change each other, but show, you know what, it is possible that we can still get along. As you say that, bring it down from a panel discussion out of DC broadcast into 500 theaters into my family room and my synagogue and my church and my mosque and my office space. How do I as an individual, whether you're speaking directly to John O'Leary or to the Live Inspired listeners, how do we begin to pivot from knowing what we know and refusing to learn anything new into being confident in what we know, but also childlike enough that we can open up our minds and our hearts enough to at least listen. How, how do we make that radical pivot? It's about giving fresh ears to every person we listen to. As soon as somebody says a sentence and uses a certain word, whether it's the wall or, or something like that, mm-hmm. we immediately assume we know what he or she is going to say afterwards. Mm. And the other thing that's really important that what I learned is that somehow certain ideas trigger fear in us. When we hear certain racist ideas or stuff like that, we, and we react from a place of fear. So as soon as we simply say, you know what, it's just an idea I'm safe, I can listen to anything, um, and I'm going to listen with fresh ears, then magic happens, right? And, and then we actually can listen and people then see you're listening. So you can actually have a fresh connection. And that's where true transformation can occur. Because I'll tell you something that also happened to me when I was at the Trump rally, I was wearing my Make America Great hat to, to speak to people, to approach people. But then I crossed over to the anti-Trump demonstrators, Mm. right? And some of them shook my hand. There were others that refused to speak to me, 
right? And told me I was racist. And I'm like, well, if I'm racist, explain to me. I'm here to dialogue with you. And they're like, go away. I don't want to talk to you. And right. you know what? I understand the anger, but does that actually solve the problem or does it feed it? Mm. And that's the question I think we need to be asking ourselves. What's, are, we, are we really solving the problem or not? As you look forward after this incredible journey you've been on, what's next for you? It's just the beginning. <laughs> so people ask me what's next. This is just beginning. The film has just started. The film has just been creating conversations. It's really amazing what happens after the film, the people who come together and speak. And, and that's why the Pledge to Listen movement is really important to me. The, in, in September, we're calling it the Pledge to Listen month. So the film is going to be shown in theaters again in the United States and Canada. And there's going to be community screenings and people can even bring it to their communities. So I'm really on fire because of this conversation that's just beginning. So this is what's next still for me. Tark, where's the link that we can learn more about how to not only watch a showing that's already taken place, maybe in our backyard, but to bring it literally into our backyard? It's on the film's website, freetriptoegypt.com. One word, freetriptoegypt.com. And there's information about screenings or how to host a screening. So freetriptoegypt.com. And of course, we'll have a link to that on our Live Inspired page. Tark, we have had almost 200 remarkable guests and all of them are tethered together through these final seven questions. We call them the Live Inspired Seven. Question number one, what is the best book you have ever read? Oh, dear. <laughs> um, the best book I've ever read. You're going to make me uh, blank out just like I did at the beginning of the film. Why'd you make um, the movie, Tarek? Really put, <laughs> put an awkward question in front of you right now. I, I, I'm not good at the quick quick answering questions. Dear, um, <laughs> there's a book I'm reading called, at the moment, called The Prayer of Kuntu Zangpo. It's a very inspiring book to me. So I'm going to go with that one for now. Tell me about that book. I, I'm, I'm not familiar with it. it it's a Tibetan Buddhist um, prayer about uh, bringing compassion into the world. Mm. Question number two, what's one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a child in Halifax that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Naive optimism. Wow. Oh man, it, naive optimism. If you don't have that going to the rallies that you went to and going to the corners that you went to to draw all kinds of people to leave the comfort of their home and their opinions, to hop on a flight, to fly to Egypt and to stay with host families who felt completely differently than they, if that's not naive optimism, I'm not sure what is, but I would have loved to have <laughs> met you as a child because I could not imagine what you would have been like back then. <laughs> The way you're going about your life and the naive optimism that you carry forward is something we are all desperately seeking today. So I encourage you to continually tap back into it. Thank you. If your house caught fire and all living things are out and you have an opportunity to get one item, what's the one thing you would grab? My guitar. Perfect. <laughs> As it burns and you now you're on the sidewalk <laughs> watching, what's the one song you would play on it? <laughs> Let it be. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. Uh, if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead, who would you want that person to be? My grandfather. Mm. What's the best advice your grandfather or anyone else that you respect has ever given you? I think, um, yeah, be true to your heart. 
What advice, Tark, would you give yourself as a 20-year-old young man? You're good the way you are. <laughs> man, I hope our listeners right now jotted that one down and are going to the bumper sticker stand right now to have it printed and placed directly above their license plate. You are good <laughs> the way you are. And so is the guy next to you. I think there, <laughs> there needs to be a little bit of empathy around that one, a little bit of grace offered on that. Tark, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? He loved the world. Tark Manib, you indeed have loved the world. You taught the rest of us to uh, identify whether we are solving the problem or feeding it, and he encouraged us to step into our days and into relationships, even those that we may disagree with, with fresh ears and open hearts. I want to thank you for helping us change the world one life at a time, one discourse at a time, one discussion at a time. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. My friends, that is my friend and now yours. His name is Tarek Manib. He is a filmmaker. He's an entrepreneur. He is a sojourner and he is teaching the rest of us how to step into our days with fresh ears. I want to thank you for listening to our episode this time. And until next time, this is John O'Leary and today is your day. Live inspired. My friends, thank you so much for listening to today's Live Inspired podcast. I hope you share with your friends, your family, your colleagues, your letter carrier, your dog walker, that stranger seated next to you on the bus ride, that lady working out right next to you, the guy checking out in front of you. In other words, share with everyone that you're listening and that you are subscribing to the Live Inspired podcast together as a Live Inspired community. And yes, that includes you. You are part of this community. Together, we can change the world. I can't wait to share with you the next episode.